0: we're looking today at the subject of false prophets false, false gods and false prophets are there prophets among us i mean talking about today yes in the past but are they among us today and my emphatic is no not they're not here the canon of scripture has been closed the canon meaning the standard You'll have it from Genesis to Revelation. What more do you need? All these books of the Bible, God revealing himself, revealing his plan, revealing the future, telling you about salvation in Jesus Christ and the coming events of the years to come. What more do you need? Do you think people are happy with that? No, they're not. They are into many things. Jehovah's Witnesses teach that Jesus Christ returned to the kingdom, that is the earth, in 1914. And continues to be present among us. Did you get that? He returned in 1914. He's with us today. When questioned as to why no one has seen Him or sees Him now, here's their answer. Christ Jesus comes not again as a human, but as a glorious spirit. Since no earthly men have ever seen the Father, they will be unable to see the glorified Son. That's a quote from their own writings. Now they got that idea from Charles Taze Russell, the self-appointed pastor and founder of the Jehovah's Witness, who wrote of Jesus' ascension that it was, here's his words, "Quiet." secretive, unknown to his followers, so in this manner he comes again. And then Russell puts these thoughts in Jesus' mouth. Learn that I am a spirit being no longer visible to human sight. You won't find that in the scripture, but you'll find that in Jehovah's Witness teaching. So it's not surprising to hear that the Jehovah's Witnesses state, as they do, Christ Jesus came to the kingdom in A.D. 1914, but unseen to men. How convenient. A prophecy on the return of Christ, which no one can verify. That's the kind of nonsense that goes among the cults. Okay, what does Jesus say about his own return? Here it is. I'm reading his words. As lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. They will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. Matthew 24 verse 27. If there were no other verse, and there are many other verses, if there were no other verse, these are the words, this is the teaching of Jesus Christ concerning His own return. There is nothing secretive at all about the return of Christ and He is visible to all because He comes in a glorified but material body, not in spirit form. Remember in the um, closed room after the crucifixion. The disciples were all huddled in fear. And Jesus appeared to them. And they said, oh, oh, ghost, ghost, oh, ghost. And Jesus said, what? Touch me, handle me. You'll see that a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see me have. You have any food here? And they had some fish and some bread, and he ate that. There it was. Fish in his mouth. Choo choo choo. Swallow. Gun. Bread. Choo choo choo. Swallow. Gun. Spirits don't do that, bodies do. He has a glorified body. Yeah, it has some wonderful supernatural power. But he's handable, seeable. Somewhere in the universe today, in the heaven of heavens, there's a body. And as he told the disciples, they bear the mark of the print of the nails in his hands and the mark of the spear thrust in his side. What about the Mormon prophet Joseph Smith? Among his numerous unfaithful predictions is one having to do with Missouri as the place God ordained for the Mormon faithful. January 4th, 1833, Joseph Smith says, quote, By the authority of Jesus Christ, by the way, they don't have any problem using Jesus' name. You need to watch this about the cults. By the authority of Jesus Christ, not many years shall pass away before the wicked of this generation will be swept from all the face of the land and the lost ten tribes will be gathered to Missouri. There are those now living upon the earth whose eyes shall not be closed in death until they see all these things which I have spoken fulfilled. End quote. Well, the Mormons were driven out of Independence, Missouri, and from all of their settlements in Missouri in 1839. The temple lot is not owned by the Mormon church. No one living in that generation when the prophecy was made is still alive. The wicked of that generation were no more swept off the face of the land than were their contemporary Mormons. The lost ten tribes have not gathered to Missouri, Nothing in all these prophecies has been fulfilled even though the majority of the saints steadfastly followed Joseph Smith and were faithful to him. It's like, don't confuse me with the facts. I, we're just going to believe our guy, our leader, regardless. Another prophecy concerning Mormon debt. Debt. April 23rd, 1834. God's promise to deliver the saints from their debts. It is my will that you shall pay all your debts. So said Joseph in a prophecy. The Lord will soften, he goes on to say, the hearts of the creditors. Fulfillment. Joseph Smith and other prominent Mormons had to flee Kirtland, Missouri to avoid their creditors, leaving debts of thousands of dollars un paid by the Mormon church, Smith ultimately filed for bankruptcy himself. Another prophecy, February 14th, 1835. Joseph Smith preached that the coming of the Lord would be in 56 years. So, if he added up, that would be 1891. This prophecy also occurs in his diary for April 6th of 1843. Joseph Smith prophesied that there, these are his words, there are those of the rising generation who shall not taste death till Christ comes. End quote. He prophesies, in the name of the Lord God, let it be written that the Son of Man will not come in the heavens till I am 85 years old. 48 years hence, or about, he says, about 1890. Do you know that the official Mormon historians have deleted that last phrase beginning with the 48 years from their church history? But if you can get a hold of his diary, it's still there in the diary. What about fulfillment? Well, the second coming of Christ did not occur about 1891. Joseph Smith did not live to 85 years of age. God must have known that he would not. Why would God make a revelation condition upon an event which he knew would never happen. And no one is alive from that generation. Prophecies, prophecies, prophecies. Unfulfilled, unfulfilled. Jean Dixon, most of you will remember her. She was a self-proclaimed prophetess continually reminded people that she had predicted the assassination of president kennedy as far back as 1952 he's in the news again by the way because it's the anniversary of his assassination so they're all into investigating and reinvestigating and theorizing and new things going on but she had she said she got a vision in 1960 In St. Matthew's Cathedral in Washington, D.C., Jack Anderson published her prediction in the Sunday tabloid Parade magazine. That's still being printed. It's in the Sunday papers. As Dixon told it to him, he writes, As to the 1960 election, Mrs. Dixon thinks it will be dominated by labor and won by a Democrat. Well, there's a real prediction. (laughs) Democrat, labor unions, but he will be assassinated or die in office, though not necessarily in his first term. End quote. She never named Kennedy as the person when she gave that prediction to this journalist. She never named him as the one who would win the 1960-11. She had a 50-50 chance as to what party would win the election. Labor unions usually endorse Democratic candidates, so that's no big secret. One critic writes, she merely employed the well-known 20-year cycle that every president elected in an even decade year since 1840 has died in office. I didn't know that. Seems to be a trend. Ronald Reagan, 1980, broke the 20-year cycle. More failed prophecies. She predicted that a world war would be started by Red China in 1958. She predicted that Russia would be the first nation to put a man on the moon. She said of President Nixon that he had excellent vibes and would be remembered as one of the great modern presidents of our day. In 1969, with regard to Fidel Castro, it is rapidly, he is rapidly losing his influence and power in this island government. Well, he's still there, he's guy's brother now that he's pushing. She predicted a comet would strike the earth around the middle of 1980, causing one of the worst disasters of the 20th century, end quote. She predicts a child born somewhere in the Middle East, Shortly after 7 a.m. in the Eastern Standard Time, on February fifth, nineteen 1962, will revolutionize the world. Before the end of 1999, he will bring together all mankind in one all-embracing faith. This will be the foundation of a new Christianity, with every sect and creed united through the man who will walk among the people to spread the wisdom of the almighty power i want you to understand see how they talk about god would would we talk about god of the almighty power if you read acts what is it acts 8 simon magnus he toted himself as the great power we don't talk that way about god we talk about god the father we talk about Jehovah, we talk about the Lord Jesus Christ. And although they are the Almighty and have great power, it's not this ambiguous name, and it's not a reference to what they can do, the Almighty power, like the force be with you. It's not that kind of stuff. It's personalized. God's a person, not a force. But the cults. Talk about another kind of almighty power. They think it's an almighty power. Sometimes Jean Dixon would kind of hedge her predictions, as she did, when she predicted that get get this now, Walter Mundale would become the Democratic candidate for 1980. Uh, she says, unless the people change their thoughts. <laughs> Yeah, they changed their thoughts. When she was asked later who she thought would win the election in 1980, she predicted it would be Ronald Reagan unless the people change an awful lot and switch at the last moment. (laughs) Brethren, you can't lose with that kind of having your cake and eating it too. It's gymnastics. Well, this is going to happen uh, 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 unless this this takes place. Now that brings us to Bible prophecy. When we come to Bible prophecy, what is the biblical criteria for a true prophet? Anybody can claim to be a prophet of God, but there's, there's a standard. What, there's a criteria. They have to meet certain... Bullet points to be entitled to take the title of a prophet of God. What does God say about prophets and prophesying? Well, if you care to look in the scriptures, and I would recommend that the people of the cults read the scriptures, you'll find out. Deuteronomy 18 verse 20 and following states it this way. God is speaking. He says, A prophet who presumes to speak in my name anything I have not commanded him to say, or a prophet who speaks in the name of another God, must be put to death. Ooh, 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 ooh. Why? Well, you may say to yourself, How can we know when a message has not been spoken by the Lord? Well, That's a great criteria, God, but how can we know that? Answer, if what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, that is a message the Lord has not spoken. Duh! That prophet has spoken presumptuously. Do not be afraid of him. Deuteronomy 18 Verse 20 through 22. It is noteworthy that in the world of men, God anticipates that some will come along and use, get it now, they'll use His name to give veracity to their own words. Well, the Lord told me, da, 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 or so on. They will speak in such a way that the listeners will think that the message they are preaching comes directly from God. I find that they use Old Testament formula. Old Testament formula. This is what the Lord says. Or, they may simply use, God told me, or the Lord Jesus proclaims. You see what's happening or references to the Holy Spirit in their predictions, as Joseph Smith did. No matter. No matter. The test of a prophet of God is not the words used themselves, God words, quotations from the Bible, speaking in King James English, Thus forthwith, thus saith the Lord, That proves nothing. Anyone can learn to speak Christian lingo. The test of a true prophet sent by God, hearing the message of God, is this. Did the prophecy come true? And not just one prophecy, but every prophecy given by the same so-called prophet the proof of divine unction is, get it now, 100% accuracy. No mistakes, no readjustments, no uh, hedging on your words like Gene Dixon did, no revisions after the fact. Oh, well, I, I, I forgot that. As they try to do with prophecy that didn't come true. You say, well, oh boy, that's impossible. No one can be right. 100% of the time. Well, if we're talking about men, just men, yeah. But if we're talking about God's men, if we're talking about God, God can and is true 100% of the time. And so if someone claims to be a spokesman for God, God, That person must have the same accuracy as God because his message or insight is supposed to be from God. Yet you will never hear any modern day prophets claim 100% accuracy. Instead, they like to talk about their percentages. Well, you know, I I have a 75% success rate. Carl Sagan, no friend of Christianity, nevertheless, made an interesting observation. Here's what he said. Think of how many religions attempt to validate themselves with prophecy. Think of how many people rely on these prophecies, however vague, however unfulfilled, to support or prop up their beliefs. Yet there, has there ever been a religion with the prophetic accuracy and reliability of science? Now you see where his faith is. He is suggesting, of course, that the accuracy of science far exceeds the accuracy of many prophetic writings, And in that, he is correct, if we're thinking about some of the things we've been talking about this morning. But it is also obvious that Sagan was no student of the Bible prophecies. And what is more, on another occasion, he went on to admit, quote, the history of science is full of cases where previously accepted theories and hypotheses have been overthrown to be replaced by new ideas which more adequately explain the data. That's just his way of saying, which more accurately tell the truth. And Sagan asserted that science works well, however, because it has, in his words, built-in error-correcting machinery. What's the built-in correcting, error-correcting machinery? Just revamp the theory. This is exactly, brethren, what the false prophets do and did. They correct themselves after the fact. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. See, well, what, re- what I really meant, what I left out was, and they revisit the prophecy, revamp it, dress it up a little bit, restate it in other words, so that they can go on. Bible prophecy has a far better record than the history of science or the prophecies of false religions. God holds the standard high. Again, I say the standard is 100% accuracy. Think of this. There are more than a thousand prophecies in the Bible dealing with every subject from the overthrow of nations, the coming of plagues, to the prophecies surrounding the birth of Christ, the promised redemption through the cross. How many prophecy failures would it take for the Bible, can I say it this way, for God to lose his credibility? Answer? Just Just one. The critics of the Bible, the Antichrist forces, would be on that one failure like a flea on a dog's back. But there are literally millions of people in the world following faithfully the teachings of false religions with multiple failures in their own prophetic writings and no one raises an eyebrow. No one asks a question. So the first test of a true prophet is this. 100% accuracy. And God gives the test. And he's not ashamed to give the test. Not afraid to give the test. So if the guy says, thus saith the Lord, da, 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 And it doesn't come true. He's a liar. Don't be afraid of him. He can't do you any harm. Oh, and the same text says, take him out and stone him. Second test the second test of a true prophet is timeliness. The pros- prophecy given comes true in the foreseeable future. Now, God's not always on our timetable, which accommodates the lifespan of men. And that's what Joseph Smith understood. Well, you know, Christ is coming. He'll be here. I'll be 85 years old. He'll be he, 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 he locked God into his own lifespan. As though God was interested in that. But that's because as now, we now have written record of God's word, we can refer to it as often as we need to. We can go back. And we can refresh our memory on future forecasts or to teach a new generation that knows nothing about the prophecies. But there was a time in Israel... When the scoffers ridiculed God's prophets because of a time lapse between the prophecy and the fulfillment. Now this is in Old Testament. It's found in Ezekiel 12. They even made a proverb, and the proverb is this: The days go by and every vision comes to nothing. Ezekiel 12 verse 22. See what they're saying? Well, prophecy has been given. Days come, days go. Nothing happens. So, God tells Ezekiel. Here it is. I'm quoting. I am going to put an end to this proverb. And they will no longer quote it in Israel. I, the Lord, will speak what I will, and it will be fulfilled without delay. For in your days... That is, while you are yet alive, you rebellious house, I will fulfill whatever I say, declares the Sovereign Lord. Son of man, the house of Israel is saying, the vision he sees is for many years from now, and he prophesies about the distant future. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. None of my words will be, revealed, will be delayed any longer. Poor dumb people you know that the delay of God's fulfillment sometimes is His mercy? You really want to hasten the day of God's judgment? Prophecies concerning judgment? Peter had to deal with the same kind of rebellious mockers in his day who ridiculed him for preaching on the second coming of Christ. Not the first coming, but the second. Where is the coming He promised? 1 Peter 3 verse 4. Well, apart from the fact that with God a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as a day, as Peter explains, Peter went on also to explain that God's delay in coming was a display of his patience, saving time, making time for people to repent and be saved. He was saying, in effect, Peter, what's your hurry? What's your hurry? Don't you know that when Christ returns, that's the end of civilization as we know it? No purgatory, no second chance. All hope of salvation ends when Christ comes. That's it. I'm not sure you want to hasten that day. I'm not sure you want to complain that the Lord is taking His time in fulfillment. I think that's a good message for the mockers of our day. If Christ were to come today, would you be prepared to meet God in peace or would it be judgment day for you and your family? That's a question you need to ask yourself. I'm thankful Christ is... Delight is coming. i got family members I'm worried about. Praying for. I don't want him to come today. They're not ready to meet him in peace. Having said that, nonetheless, time does stand as one test of true prophecies. One author who wrote a book in support in support of Joseph Smith's prophecies made this cogent observation. I didn't say this. He wrote it. Here's what he says. Time is the supreme test of a prophecy. He who undertakes to foretell events must know that time in its merciless pursuit will find him out. Of all the pretenses of the false prophets, Prophesying is the most hazardous. Religious impostors often display qualities of leadership in controlling the affairs of their followers. The more modest their pretenses, however, the more likely they are to escape detection and exposure. But when spiritual leaders assume to exercise the exalted function of prophecy and have the courage to publish their prophecies, They place their reputations before the bar of the world and as the weight of time presses out the vintage of the centuries, they must seek to a deserving oblivion or be exalted to a place in the skies. This is the foe of fraud but the never-failing friend of truth. And I say, well said, well said. But Mr. Morris, who wrote those words, did not consider or discuss in his book the many failed prophecies of Joseph Smith. You see, people work from their worldviews. They do. They see what they want to see. They dismiss the rest. We're not to do that as Christians. As Christians, we need to be mindful of our sinful biases and repent of our false interpretations of God's word in the name of God to make ourselves appear in a better light. Let me tell you something. The light of deception is darkness indeed. So be honest. We don't try to bend God's word. You don't have to bend it. Just tell it. Like it is. And God by his Holy Spirit will take that sword. And do mighty things with it. So we have the test. Did the prophecy come true? We have the test of time. Now. If you look in the New Testament. You will see fulfillment. Of copious Old Testament prophecies. Hundreds of them. Fulfilled already. Still, yeah, okay, there are some yet to be fulfilled because we're talking about the second coming of Christ. We're talking about world, the end of world events, new heaven, new earth. Those are yet future, so, but here's the, here's the way it works. If the prophets were honest about those that are fulfilled in the new covenant, if the time of those fulfillment demonstrates that the prophet told the truth, we have every assurance to believe that the yet future ones will come to pass. That's reasonable. It's not only faith, it's reasonable to believe that. So let us be mindful of these things. Now, if we can't trust the self proclaimed prophets, what about the stargazers? Can we trust them? The astrologists would say, We, ho oh, ho, we are not formulating any predictions. We are just reading what is written in the stars. Oh, really? Our text says, verse 2. This is what the Lord says Do not learn the ways of the nations or be terrified by signs in the sky, though the nations are terrified by them. Verse 6 and following. He tells of the God's greatness and mighty power. And verse 7 asks the question Who should not revere you, O King of the nations? This is your due among all the wise men of the nations and in all their kingdoms. There's no one like you. Verse 12. God made the earth by his power and stretched out the heavens by his understanding. The nations are all into reading and interpreting the signs of the sky, but it is the Lord who made the galaxies and all the stars in the sky. Shouldn't the people be seeking the Lord if they want to know about life and living in the present or in the future? We read in Isaiah the other week, All the counsel you have received has only worn you out. Let your astrologers come forward, those stargazers who make predictions month by month. Surely they are like stubble. The fire will burn them up. They cannot even save themselves from the power of the flame. Here are no coals to warm anyone. There's no fire to sit by. You stubble is just, you know, it's kind of like a flash in the pan. There's, there's no substance to that kind of a fire. This is all they can do for you. Each of them goes on in his error. There's no one who can save you. Isaiah 47, verse 13, and following. Picture here is a people out in the cold and dark. All they want is a little light by which to see a little, they want a little heat to keep them warm. But when they turn to the astrologers and their endless and meaningless predictions, which never come true, they get neither heat nor light from such. Only continual error and wrong information, which saves no one and only tends to wear people out. I think Nebuchadnezzar exhibited a bit of that frustration with his astrologers, which we looked at the other week, when he threatened to cut them <laughs> to pieces if they couldn't tell him his dream. You know, I've had it with you guys. You, you just tell me what you, what you think I want to hear. I, I want you to tell me what the truth is. He had had it with their lies. He had had it with their deception. And he longed for someone, someone who would just tell him the truth. Daniel chapter 2, you can read it on your own. Do you know that our country exhibits the same kind of false faith in astrology? Donald Reagan, not Reagan, Donald Reagan, chief of staff to President Reagan, spilled the beans that Nancy Reagan had been, and these are his words. Consulting in astrology and actually influencing the chief executive's decisions on the basis of astral predictions, the first lady had been dabbling with the cult as early as 1967, and her husband was gov- when her when her husband was governor of California by relying upon the advice of the prophetess Jean Dixon, which I referred to earlier. Wow. Reagan went on to say, Virtually every major move or decision the Reagans made during my time as White House Chief of Staff was cleared in advance with a woman in San Francisco who drew up horoscopes to make certain that the planets were in a favorable alignment for whatever the enterprise. End quote. That woman was Joan Quigley, the world's foremost political astrologer as she built herself. Now, Nancy was not the first to do this. Mary Todd Lincoln attended seances trying to contact her dead son, Willie. Edith Wilson and Florence Harding utilized the same clairvoyant during their administrations. Wow, that gives me a lot of confidence. Not in our political advisors and leaders. Again, the Bible's position demonstrates that the sun and moon and stars are created objects set in the heavens by God to display his handiwork. They do not have personality, they do not have godlike attributes, they do not have godlike abilities of reason, they have no knowledge of the future, they have no power to change or direct your life. Their only ability as signs is what God says of them in Genesis 1, verse 14 and following. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate day from night, and let them serve as signs to mark seasons, days, years. There it is. And let them be lights in the expanse of the sky to give light on earth. Y'all know that long before there were navigation tools like compasses and, in our day, uh, global positioning satellites. Long before these days, the seamen of the past could use the fixed position of the stars as markers to navigate. They also serve this purpose. Since the crea- I'm reading scripture. Since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes, His eternal power, His divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. Romans 1 verse 20. When we look up at the stars and the planets and the galaxies, and there's hundreds of them, thousands of them, We're not to say, if if that alignment is good for me, it'll affect my life. We're to look up and see those things and say, wow, what a great creator. What a great God. They demonstrate his power, his authority, his greatness. God has warned us, here it is. I'm reading scripture. When you look up into the sky and see the sun, the moon, and the stars, all the heavenly ray, do not be enticed into bowing down to them and worshiping. Deuteronomy 4 verse 19. Could anything be, be more clear? They're created objects. They magnify the glory and power of God. But they're not God. The first reform King Josiah initiated when he came to power was, I'm quoting scripture, to remove from the temple of the Lord all the articles made for the Baal and the Asherah and all the starry hosts. He burned them outside Jerusalem. Next verse says, He did away with the pagan priests who burned incense to Baal, to the sun, to the moon, to the constellations, and to all the starry hosts. Yea, for Josiah. God give us leaders like that. This is the boy king, by the way. The maturity of an adult. Because he had the spirit of God. God himself often speaks of the constellations. Job's analysis is this. He speaks to the sun and it does not shine. He seals off the light of the stars. He alone stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. He's the maker of the bear. He's talking about the constellations. The bear and Orion, the Pleiades, the constellations of the south. He performs wonders that cannot be fathomed. Miracles that cannot be counted. Job 9 verses 7 through 10. And in Job 38 Verse 31, and following, God questions Job, asking if he, Job, can bring forth the constellations in their seasons. Do you know the laws of the heavens? Can you set up God's dominion over the earth? Of course, Job couldn't do any of those things. But in saying those things to Job, he's saying, you know, that's what I do. I do this all the time. So, God made the constellations, but for what purpose? Are they so men could order their lives by them? Uh, they're, they're, they are, after all, pinpoints, just pinpoints of light, millions of light years away from us on Earth. They hardly have any gravitational pull. So, do they have any power over the Earth? Any other power over its inhabitants of the Earth? Astrologers would say, oh yes, yes. But the Bible's viewpoint is that they show forth God's handiwork so the glory should go to God. But here is another, it's just another way for men to go to idolatry. Anything but God. Anything but the God of the Bible. We'll worship anything but not God. Now, I close with this. The Bible is in a different category altogether from the prognosticators and the stargazers, from the tellers and the worshipers of idols. Now, I have listed in your bulletin there, consider with me just eight prophecies concerning Christ in the Old Testament which with traceable, traceable fulfillment in the New Testament. Now, I've just listed what they are. Now, let me give you the scriptures. If you've got your pens handy, Here's, here's the scriptures to look for. Jesus' birthplace was said to be Bethlehem. Micah five verse two fulfillment Matthew two verse five and six. Micah five two is the prophecy fulfillment Matthew two verse five and six. Remember when the wise men came here and said, "Oh, you know, what do your scriptures say about where was the Messiah supposed to be born?" He goes to his advisors, his religious advisors. They say, "Oh, that's easy." Bethlehem, because Micah says, boom, 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 they knew. Number two, the time of his birth is based on the 70 weeks of Daniel. I'll give you two references there. Daniel 9, verse 25, and the fulfillment, Luke 2, 25 through 32. There's a sequence going on. Events are happening historically that Daniel predicted would happen. The coming of the Christ is going to be the time of the Roman Empire. Number three. What's the manner of his birth? It's to be a virgin birth. Whoever heard of a virgin giving birth to anything? Well, Isaiah predicted this in Isaiah 7 verse 14. Literally, that the virgin would conceive and have a child. The fulfillment is Luke 1 verse 34. A virgin birth. Number four. The price of betrayal. Who would think this would be in the book? But it's there. That he would be betrayed, be betrayed. Jesus would be betrayed by 30 pieces of silver. That's the asking price for a slave. The prophecy is Zechariah 11, verse 2. The fulfillment is found in a number of places. Matthew 26, verse 15. And Matthew 27, verse 9 and 10. Zechariah 11, verse 2 is the prophecy. Fulfillment, Matthew 26, 15. 27, verse 9 and 10. Number five, the manner of his death, that it would be crucifixion. That's our stretch. Would that be prophesied? It's going to be the way he dies? If you look at Psalm 22, verse 16 and 18, the actual words of Christ on the cross are recorded by the Psalms, fulfilled in Matthew 27, verse 35, Luke 23, verse 34, Luke 23, verse 34, and John 19, verse 24. Number six, the treatment of his body, that there would be no broken bones. As cruel as the Roman punishment was, the flogging, remember, the Crown of thorns, uh, beating with rods, all of those things. The scripture said no bones would be broken. Psalm 34 verse 20. That's prophecy. Fulfilled in John 19 verse 31 through 33. By the way, the thieves on the cross, none of them were dying quick enough on crucifixion day. So the Roman soldiers went through as they normally did. And broke the legs of the thieves on the cross. One on the right, one on the left. But it says when it came to Jesus, lo and behold, he was already dead. So they didn't do that. Oh, coincidence. No. Prophecy fulfilled. Or what about the thrust of the spear in his side? Prophesied in Zechariah 12, verse 10. Fulfilled in John 19, verse 34, verse Thirty-seven. These are specific details that, you know, you're not, you're not going to fake these. What are you going to go to? The Romans say, you know, everything's going according to the scriptures, but you haven't gotten to the part where you thrust the spear into his side yet. Yeah, you need to do that. Because, see, that's how critics blow away the prophecies of scripture. They say, well, you know, the New Testament guys just read the Old Testament, so they went about and fulfilled the prophecies. Yeah, right. Jesus on the cross, being nailed and immobile is going to orchestrate so he can have a the- spear thrust in his side. It's of God. Number 9, the reaction of us or seven, the reaction of his followers. That they would desert him. He would desert, be deserted by his disciples. Did you know that was prophesied? Zechariah 13 verse 7. Matthew 26 verse 31 is the fulfillment. Matthew uh, 26 31. And the prophecy. Zechariah 13 verse 7. They are all going to desert him. And then number 8. What about his burial place? That he would be buried in a wealthy man's tomb. Who? would figure there's nobody from Galilee this poor Galilean only has the clothes on his back yeah well he's going to be buried in a rich man's tomb Isaiah 53 verse 9 fulfilled Matthew 27 verse 57 through 60 who would have thought that a rich man would go to Pilate and say I want his body I have this brand new tomb I haven't used it I I made it for my family. We're not dead. I have this tomb. I want his body. I'm going to stick him in my tomb. If it's okay with you, Pilate. Pilate says, good. Go go for it. These are only eight. Eight of the 29 messianic prophecies that were fulfilled in the last 24 hours of Jesus' life. Peter Stoner, professor of mathematics and astronomy, writes, quote, We find that the chance that any man might have lived down to the present time and fulfilled all eight prophecies, the chance of that happening is 1 in 10 to the 17th power, that is, one zero followed by... 17, or one, the number one, followed by 17 zeros, mathematically, one in 100 quadrillion. I can't even think that high. Mr. Stoner is the chairman of the Department of Mathematics and Astronomy at Pasadena City College and chairman of the Science Division of Westmont College. He knew mathematics and law of averages and all of that was his whole field of expertise. And this is just eight prophecies. There are many more than eight prophecies dealing with Christ. One Bible student lists 332 distinct Old Testament prophecies which are literally fulfilled in Christ. Many more in the New Testament. Brethren, the word of God is the truth, and you can bank your life on it. In reality, all men's lives are governed by this book, whether they believe it or not. And nothing to do with the stars, and the constellations, and the planets, and Ouija boards, and whatever else people are into. And they are into it. Crystals, you know, special things. Witches, mediums, spiritists all the things which God condemns. Because these things detract, detract, take away from the God that is. And guess what? That's why people go to these things. They don't want the God that is. The God that is, is the God of the Bible, but he has a standard for our lives. And he says this, you must repent. You must come to Christ. Christ. You want to meet me in peace someday? The blood of Jesus must cover your sins. Pay for your sins. Yes, you are a sinner. And as you dabble in the occult and the astrology and the prophecies of false men, you're just stirring up the pot of God's wrath. You're doing, adding sin to sin. Not only are you not coming to me, but you're going to the devil to get your instructions about future things. And he's a liar, said Jesus, and a deceiver and a murderer. I was saddened this week to read in the Flint Journal that the people of Flint voted in council members. that were four council members that were all felons, one being a murderer. And I thought, in a city of 100,000 population, you mean to tell me there is no one in a city of 100,000 that you can find that's honorable, that has not been on the wrong side of the law, that has lived an honest and righteous, maybe not a saved person even, but just an honest and righteous man or woman, You can't find four people to put on the city council of Flint to govern the affairs of the city. Brethren, does that tell you where we're at? Men who call good evil and evil good. That's where we're at. May the Lord forgive us. And may He keep us true. He he will if you stick to this. Amen. Amen. Lord, we thank you for your word. It is the touchstone. We come back. When we get off wacko ideas, and we do, <clears throat> when we start thinking thoughts that, uh, they're, they're not according to your word, they're not your thoughts, we're not thinking correctly, Satan has put a temptational, temptational thought in our mind, a wrong view. We need to come back, touch the scriptures, reread, Reacquaint ourselves so that we correct and are corrected by the truth of your word. Forgive us, Lord, please, for those times when we have just gone merrily off on our own way and we've done our own thing and we've we've trusted in our own wisdom, our own know-how, and it's been bogus, it's been sinful, it's been full of greed or lust or some other sinful pattern. We've not come back to your word and not believed you, we started trusting in ourselves. We play for our country. Oh, God, we are in trouble as a country. And I ask your blessing upon it in this sense, that you would send revival. Lord, may it start with us. May it start with your church. May you grant us repentance. May we come back away from our sin and unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. May you save our country from self-destruction, not because we deserve it, but because of your own glory, for your own sake. Lord, hasten the day of Jesus, if indeed your day is near. But Lord, if you would be merciful to our friends and relatives, we're thankful that the day of the Lord has not come yet. Give us boldness to speak and to witness to our friends and relatives and loved ones and neighbors that they might hear the life-saving truth of the gospel and avoid the wrath to come. In Jesus' name, for Jesus' glory, we pray these things. Amen.